It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good Friday morning. How are you? Every Friday is a good Friday, right? This way I look at it. It's like, yeah, this is a great day. Um, we have a lot planned for the show today. I uh, want to start out talking about the COVID relief bill. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but yesterday, Senator John Kennedy, who I, I just adore him. I don't know how you not like this man because he's just so blatantly honest. And I'm a firm believer that you can say anything you want to say with a Southern accent. So he does. He's got this thick Southern accent, which I adore. I love that, too. And he sits there and he told Brian yesterday, he said, calling the relief package a coronavirus bill is uh, is like saying, yeah, and the stripper really likes you. <laughs> I was dying. I was like cried when I heard that. That was just so fantastic. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, he's absolutely right. There is a lot of pork in this this bill. And, um, you know, the president and vice president are going to be uh, going around the country next week on the Help Is Here tour. They're literally going to be throwing $100 bills out of Air Force One. They're just open the door and they're just going to be throwing it out of Air Force One over over the country. Except the white areas, they won't be doing it there. But everywhere else, they can just throw money out of Air Force One and everybody can just scramble for it. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be like those machines you see on a game show where you get to stand in a tube and they, and they shoot the wind up and there's all this money that goes flying around. And you get to grab it. That's what they're going to do next week. Um, here Is Kevin with us? Oh, he is ready. Okay. Joining us right now. Kevin Cork, Fox News White House correspondent. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin Cork with an E on the end of it, the end of Cork. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, my friend, and happy Friday. Yay, absolutely. So is it true, you would know because you're in the know, that next week the president and vice president will be throwing $100 bills out Air Force One as they go across the country on the Help Is Here tour? Or as the kids like to say, making it rain. You yes. Know, you got one palm down, you got one palm up, and you're just like shoveling money right through it. It's interesting because I think uh, for most people, this won't impact your life. Yes, you may get a stimulus check if you earn $75,000 or less, uh, which will impact a great number of people. But keep in mind, the original promise was $2,000 checks right out the door if you – uh, will elect uh, these two Georgia senators that are Democrats, and, of course, that never happened. And then the White House tried to couch it a bit and say, well, it was $600 and plus the $1,400. That equals the $2,000. I'm like, no, that's not what you said. Nobody said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really, I think, going to stand out the most is when the, the, uh, Mr. Biden and uh, the vice president hit the road, if you will. Uh, Biden's expected to be in Pennsylvania on Tuesday. Uh, the VP will be heading out west, uh, we're told, with the first husband or the second husband. It's uh, what the White House said, which I found very curious. Like, I don't remember needing that to be the case, but whatever. Uh, they're going to go out there and they're going to try to sell you on the idea that we've set aside all this money now 
we are going to pay back all of our constituencies. They'll say it in a way that won't say it quite so bluntly, but that's the end result of what we'll see. So question, because that's exactly, you must read my mind. We're so simpatico, Kevin. Um, on the yes, help is we here, are. <laughs> on the Help Is Here tour, will they be visiting all the unions whose pensions they're bailing out? And will they be uh, visiting each foreign country? We're going to borrow money to, we're going to borrow money from China in order to send to those countries. No, that's one of the biggest outrages. I don't care if you're left right or center politically as an American, the idea of sending billions and billions of dollars overseas uh, to prop up foreign militaries and other interests abroad at a time when the workforce participation rate is probably the lowest in history, certainly one of the lowest in history, at a time when your neighbors, my neighbors, people at my barbershop are desperate for work, They've had wives laid off. They're single people who are out of work that have to move back home with their parents. And even older adults who, for whatever reason, may have been uh, sort of forced off the uh, regular job routine, many of them have simply left the workforce. And so now we're, as a government, committing billions of dollars to other interests abroad at a time when people right here really need the help. They're not going to talk about that. What they will say is help is on the way. But as you and I both know, anytime someone says help is on the way, uh, that's sort of a, a generic promise that may never come. Yeah, I'm, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that maybe you can explain to me why this is not happening is that one of the things when my friends on both sides of the aisle, I've, I've had this conversation with both sides, my, my left friends, my right friends, is in this bill, there is relief for farmers. Uh, but what it is, is they're going to help them pay back loans. They're going to pay back loans, but they're going to give them 120%. They'll pay up to 120% of loans for Black, Hispanic, Asian, or Native American farmers' outstanding debt as of January 1st. So white people need not apply. And that, to me, I don't understand how the, the Republicans aren't screaming that this is racist. Could you imagine if it was only for white farmers? The Democrats would be, would be jumping off buildings. So I don't yeah, understand this how this isn't unconstitutional and how Republicans didn't talk about this. I've never understood the idea of trying to create silos where some groups get more than other groups. There has been a period in our history, and I'm not naive, I understand it, I lived it, where different groups uh, were, for whatever reason, nefarious reasons, dastardly reasons, um, mistreated in our country. But are we not at a point now where we ought not do things that are blatantly unconstitutional? Equal protection under the law actually means something. Uh, if you want to help these disparate groups, that have been, for whatever circumstance in the past, in desperate need of help, you help them, but you help everyone equally. I don't think there's any reason why they can't help the groups that they're aiming to help and yet not help everyone. And this is one of the things that I'll never understand about this city. I love my country. I'm passionate about making sure that all Americans get a chance, a fighting chance, to really make the most of their dreams here. But what I can't stand is when one group is pitted against another, because let me tell you something. People won't say it out loud, 
but people will think it. When you read things like this, it creates enmity, and I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong-headed policy, and yet for some reason, no one seems to be talking about it. It's unreal. And I got into this with someone who, because in my, and I could be wrong here, but in my view, only Democrats would try to solve um, racism with more racism. Like, it doesn't make sense to be racist to people who had nothing to do with the racist policies of the past, weren't even alive, most of them. So we're going to now be racist against them in order to equal the scale about the racism before. And so I said to them, like, well, you know, women couldn't vote, right, for over 100 years. Women couldn't right. own their own property. My mother couldn't get a credit card in her own name without my father co-signing until like nineteen mid, the mid-1970s. Women couldn't get a bank account without a man signing until 1974. So where's my check? <laughs> Right. I have to say, I love you <laughs> because you've just so perfectly laid out the utter hypocrisy and the ridiculousness of creating programs where we once again, in perhaps, and again, I'm not saying that people aren't trying to make good on our past. I get that. But I think the approach is the problem because it's not just examples like you just shared. Uh, you and I could go down chapter and verse. Yeah. Of, uh, different groups, uh, you know, people who were interned in this country, people who had land stolen from them in this country, people who have been abused. And by the way, even within the – and I'm using air quotes – within the framework of the law, everything from uh, loan uh, – abusing people with loans and, and what have you, we could all go back and say this group was mistreated. Therefore, let's set aside for that group. But a smarter, safer, and I believe legal way to do it is make set-asides for everybody so that we can all rise together. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge what happened, but what it should mean is we don't put bad policy after a good idea, which is to elevate the people who've been in the past uh, not given the opportunities. You know, the the philosophy of the left, and this is to me what, what we're seeing here with just this one section of the bill alone, this is one section, is that the left truly believes this is a bad country, that this is an evil country. Do we have atrocities in our past that were terrible? Absolutely. But the story of this country is that we recognized them and we improved ourselves, right? And we changed. We fought a war over slavery in order to become a better country, right? So it it, it they assume that there's no such thing as progress. It's so funny that the progressives want to deny progress that this country has made and become better. And to me, that is so evident in this, just this one section of this bill. Then uh, that's, that's just me. Um, I, I want to ask you something else though, because what we, you and I could waste all of our time just doing this. We could do a show together. Um, <laughs> We could. So so when the president and vice president go on their um, money shooting out of an out of an airplane tour across America, they're going to be separate. You said, right They're They're not necessarily going to be in the same place at the same time. Is Joe Biden going to be allowed to speak? <laughs> well, you know what we should. You remember last year how the, all these different networks had tickers, you know, days you know, or whatever, even the covid ticker or Days since blank ticker, you know, yes, it's yes. just how TV news is notorious for creating tickers. I think at some point we may have to have a ticker, you know, day 51 without a press conference uh, for Mr. Biden. I, it's my suspicion, and I know this only based on what I've seen previously in rollouts like this. He'll go out, 
He'll make a few remarks. Uh, he'll take a pre-planned, pre-selected person or two, or perhaps he'll allow an AP reporter uh, or maybe Reuters or somebody like that to ask a question, and they'll ask it to be topic-specific. If you're looking for a freewheeling, uh, genuine exchange, sort of a rapid-fire question and answer for the president or the vice president, that's simply not going to happen. Their strategy and it's actually – if you think about it politically, it's pretty smart. The best way to protect him is to protect him from himself, limit his exposure. Yeah. He'll do one. He'll answer some questions, but they'll be either pre-planned or these will be people that are having some very specific questions. Really watch – I guarantee you, you watch this, and, and I think they're going to continue that posture. I think it's a smart thing to do politically, even if it isn't a good thing for the country. Yeah. And when you said rather the last time he did anything rapid fire, I'm like, was I alive the last time Joe Biden did anything rapid fire? I, and I hate to say, I don't, and I'm just going to end on this because I know we're running out of time here, but here's my thing with him. It's so evident in the way he speaks and the way he, you could see him when he reads the teleprompter, he's kind of squinting a little bit, his mouth's open, he's leaning forward. The way he walks, I saw it in my grandparents. And I can see it in Joe. He definitely is deteriorating. And I don't think mentally he is all there. I do believe he is in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's or senility or something along those lines, or maybe it's just accelerated age, you know, and and I'm not making fun of that because it could happen. We're all going to be there, right? So I, I do think that, that what's happening, what we're seeing, my husband was watching it last night. He's like, you know, this is elder abuse. And he meant that totally seriously. And and, and you know, I, I just I don't know how long we can continue this charade. I've heard that. And, and I, you know, as we all do, we all have parents and grandparents who've sort of shown similar uh, symptoms. I would just say this. I think he's careful. And I think that's part of what you're seeing, this sort of halting. He's trying to be careful because he has been told stick to the strip, uh, stick to the script. Yeah. He's he's just trying to be really careful. Sometimes it comes across poorly. Uh, if, if somebody said, are you betting that the guy's lost a step? I would take that bet. But you know what? I respect all seniors and because we're all going to yeah. be there. Let's hope for the good of the country. Please God that, uh, we're all safe, uh, as well as we can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want anyone to think that I, I, I'm mocking his, you know, his age or anything like that, or what comes of along with not. it at all. Sure. But I just think that pretending that it's not there is also wrong at at the same time. So, Kevin Cork, thank you so much. I love when you get to when you get to come on the show with me. It's such a, it's such a fun segment. Thank you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Your calls coming up on all of this about what's in the bill. We'll go into some more stuff about what's in this quote unquote COVID relief bill coming up. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669 right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean Small groups will be able to get together. I'll tell you the truth. On July 4th, with your loved ones, is the goal. But a goal, a lot can happen. Conditions can change. <laughs> so, listening to that last night, cleaning up from dinner, my husband's in the other room, and he's listening to it too, and he just shouts out, because he used to give commentary, he shouts out at me, he goes, doesn't he know we do that already? I was like, no, he has no clue. He's no clue. Were there any more modifiers than that? There's a good chance you will be able to get together. Um, what does it say? It doesn't mean large events with lots of people. Small groups will be able to get together. Um, it's the goal, but a lot can happen. Conditions could change. So make it a goal, but don't get your hopes up because I could disappoint you. Um, so I went over to CNN, as I often do, uh, after these events, I like to go to CNN and see how they react. And of course, they thought it was the most fawning thing ever. It's positive compared to the last president. He's being honest. He's giving the people hope. He asked them to join him because he said, I need you. Um, and so they were all excited about that. But I did not get to listen to MSNBC. Now, um, so here's a little bit of MSNBC with Rachel Maddow. You've got Sanjay Gupta on CNN. Um, You've got Van Jones on CNN. I saw him, Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Here is their assessment of that speech last night, and I'd like to hear your assessment of the speech as well. 
I thought it was really important when he talked about that July 4th goal. July 4th. Yeah. You know, right. he, he put that on the calendar as well. So, Backyard barbecue. Right. <laughs> People are going to be looking at their calendars now with some hope. If we all do our part by the 4th of July, we might be able to celebrate Independence Day together. Yes, independence, the ability to go out in your backyard. They're going to give us some of our freedoms back. Is it that, I think that's pretty much what the founding fathers had in mind, is that if you behave and you're really good, they'll give us some of our freedoms back. Pretty sure that's not how they meant for it to go at all. Uh, so coming up, I, I, I want to hear from you about what you thought of the speech last night, what you thought about that July 4th goal, and are my husband and I the only people who, I think, well, I want to say since about, April, May, somewhere around there, kind of been getting together with friends every now and then, you know, we've been get visiting in groups. And what do you think about the COVID relief bill? I'm using quotation marks with my fingers, making quotation marks. It's all coming up, 866-408-7669. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, this thing is jammed with lots of rewards for every Democratic interest group. Fiscal responsibility, an F, because he's taking all that money and dumping it into things that have nothing whatsoever to do with COVID. When Republicans get to know what's in this bill, they ain't going to like it at all. And he made no effort, no committee hearing. They had one meeting with 10 Republican senators and he dismissed them, took none of their suggestions. This is not an attempt to be bipartisan. It's an attempt to stuff a partisan bill down the throat of the country and then claim it's bipartisan because it, quote, polls well. It ain't going to poll well in three months as it is today. Yeah, uh, that was Carl Rove talking about the, quote, unquote, COVID relief bill. Uh, your thoughts on the, the speech last night that the president gave, for one, a weird reason, commemorating the one year of the of, of the of the shutdown. It was literally the one year of two weeks to flatten the curve, right? Do you remember a year ago on the 11th, we were told it's going to take two, about two weeks to flatten the curve. We're just going to have to make this sacrifice for two weeks. We're asking people to quarantine. We're going to shut down businesses. Figure it'll take two weeks, just not so we don't overwhelm the hospitals. <laughs> there are still places that still aren't open up 100 percent at two weeks see this is the government lies the government lies to you i don't know how to tell you this so uh, what did you think about uh, president biden's speech last night and also let's talk about the covid quote-unquote covid relief bill and some of the things that are in it i'll just quickly we talked about um the bailout for farmers everyone but white farmers is going to be totally race-based whether you need the money or not it's gonna be race-based um, they don't have, well, let me put it this way. They don't have to prove that they're, that they are in arrears. Like there's no proof needed, but they're going to get these bills. If they can, these, this money, if they come forward and say, I have a loan, they can get up to 120%. So they'll make money on it. Um, the, on page 613 of a 628 page bill, three billion, three and a half billion dollars is going to the Gates global fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. I don't know how big of a problem malaria is in this country. So it makes me think that money's not going to stay in this country. And guess what? It has nothing to do with COVID. 
um, $200 million to museum and library services, $270 million to the Endowment for Arts and Humanities, $600 million goes to San Francisco, because they've done such a wonderful job with that place, $1.5 billion for Amtrak, $12 billion in foreign aid. I was talking about that with Kevin Cork. We're going to have to borrow money from the Chinese in order to give to other countries. Someone should ask the question and say, excuse me, but why don't those other countries just go to the Chinese themselves? Why do we incur the debt with the Chinese and then we have to pay the loan? It's like we're parents, right? And your kid needs a loan for a car. So you're like, okay, you can't get it. I'll co-sign. I'll get the loan for you. And then you give the money to your kid to buy the car. And then your kid expects you to repay the loan and any interest on it, right? And a lot of parents do. So that that's the agreement we have here. Um, $15 billion for illegal immigrant eligible health care. $111 billion for welfare without work requirements. $350 billion to bail out blue state pensions. And on and on and on. So tell me again how this is a COVID relief bill. Or maybe you think it's a great idea because you're going to get a check. 866-408-7669. Let's head to Georgia. BJ, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy Friday. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good, and I'm real incensed over this bill. I, it's clearly racist to white people. The farmers, it drives me nuts. And I, for one, am really angry that I'm paying for Nancy Pelosi's subway system. Yeah, well, this is what they've wanted all along. They've wanted these blue state pensions bailed out because they made, and these things go back 30 years where they where they made bad deals because what happens is is the, the unions pour tons of money into Democrat um, campaigns, right? And, and they tell their members to vote for Democrats. And then Democrats pay them back. And this is one of the ways they just pay back. What a lot of the stuff in this bill, if you look at it, BJ, is actually, you know, obviously paying back their cronies and the people who got them elected, but it's a way to launder money back into the Democrat party. So you, you, you bail out the unions with their pensions with no requirement to stop what they were doing that got them in this position. Uh, no, no plan for what happens when this money runs out, but they know that the unions will take some of that money and funnel it back into campaigns to get Democrats elected, right? The $550 million for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is a huge donator to Democrat campaigns. So what does that do? Planned Parenthood funnels money back into Democrat campaigns. So they're taking taxpayer money. It's brilliant. Funneling it through these organizations, which then donate a portion of it back to Democrats to get Democrats reelected. Yeah. It's, and... People don't realize who's going to pay for that. Oh, our taxes. Uh, you know what? Thank you, BJ. You're so right. Thank you so much for joining me as well. You have a great weekend. Um, people don't realize it. People are going, yeah, I'm getting $1,400. I'm like, that $1,400 is going to cost your children $5,000 once you, once you add up the interest down the road. Who do you think is going to pay? I'm going to be dead. So, you know, as far as this is no skin off my nose because you can all deal with this after I'm gone. But children and grandchildren are going to be paying for this for their entire lifetime. I think they've worked out our national debt now is something like over $80,000 for each man, woman, and child in this country if we had to pay it back right now. 
I saw the and don't quote me on that. I saw the number, but I I want to say it was something like eighty thousand. I could be off again, but you get the idea. Every child that's born has a bill. They're in the red from the moment they're born because of things like this. Uh, let's stay in Florida, Orange City. Pat on WNDB and yeah, WNBD. Flip that. Uh, you're on the. We're on with Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. This bill is ridiculous. It's the biggest expense check we've just given to the Democrats. We're like you just said. We're bailing them out, and we're paying probably for their 22 and 24 elections as well. And the bills that Pelosi is passing through the House, this HR1, uh, it's really ridiculous when you think about it. 2005. She's the one that demanded uh, ID, voters registration, signatures, uh, paper trail, and now she's totally flipping over and saying that she doesn't want any of that. And it makes no sense, but it does make sense now. They got what they wanted. Like Schumer says, we take America and we're going to change it now. And boy, are they doing it. Yeah, they are. But the thing is, is, is I don't think they're going to like what they get in the end because usually, um, you know, it's an eat me last mentality with socialists. You know, they're going to come after everybody else very gleefully because they're, they're forcing their vision on you. You know, they, that's what they do. You know, if, if a conservative, uh, doesn't eat meat is a vegan, they just don't eat meat. But if a liberal doesn't eat meat, they want you not to be able to eat meat either. That's, that's the way they are. They don't like guns. So you can't have one. Um, they, you know, they think everyone should vote even illegal immigrants. So they're going to make sure it happens. You know, they're going to usurp your rights with that. Um, thank you, Pat. You made a lot of really good points. You have a great weekend. I wanted to just very quickly here with when in this COVID relief bill, we talked about the uh, money that is going, uh, to, um, relieve farmers of, of their bad, of any outstanding debts. It includes about 4 million, four, excuse me, 4 billion to pay up to 120% of black, Hispanic, Asian, or native American farmers outstanding debt as of January 1st. And it contains a billion for equity commissions, agricultural training, improved land access, and other assistance to advance racial justice in farming, which means white people, you're going to pay for it. You're not going to get anything. But listen to this. In 1999, there was a class action suit called the of uh, the Pigford lawsuit. And I, we've heard, you, I'm sure you've heard of this before. And it was settled with the government in 1999 for $1.25 billion. And that money was supposed to go to farmers to help them who claim they were unfairly denied loans and other government assistance. So what happened to that 1.25 billion? Why do we have to give them another 4 billion on top of it? If we solved the problem in 1999 and we said, okay, we're going to settle this. We're going to make this good. Why are we giving them another 4 billion? Hmm. And why is no one asking this? Right. Now, listen, maybe you think this is a good bill. Maybe you think that, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff in this, but there are a lot of Americans who need that $1,400, and I'm not saying there aren't. My, my beef with all of this is I don't like the money going to foreign countries. Give that to Americans. Why are we giving this money to foreign countries? $12 billion in foreign aid. Why is that not being used here? Right. I, 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 listen, um, why, why um, illegal immigrant health care, 15 billion. Why? Why is that not being used for Americans who don't have health care? That's my problem with this. 
So maybe you think the rest of it's really good, but like me, you have problems with some of these parts of these bills, or maybe you don't have a problem with any of it. Maybe you think it's fine. I'm open to hearing your argument. 866-408-7669. And if you want to comment on last night's speech by uh, President Biden and what he had to say there, I'd like to hear your comments as well, because I I heard a lot of people on CNN and MSNBC saying they thought it was really great. So maybe it all depends on the lens with which you view all of this. Maybe we can't even be objective anymore. We'll get your calls coming up right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Two months ago... The country, this country, didn't have nearly enough vaccine supply to vaccinate all or ever near all of the American public. But soon we will. We've been working with vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, to manufacture and purchase hundreds of millions of doses of these three safe, effective vaccines. So, and I know this is, this is just nitpicking, but I can't stand when people say manufacture. It's manufacture. Manufacture makes me crazy. And I know it's dumb. And that's the least of my problems with the speech last night. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, he's taking credit for the manufacturing of the coronavirus vaccine. Remember, what did he say we were going to get? What did he say? A hundred thousand? I forget. He gave a number of how many shots they were going to get in arms in the first 100 days. And then someone had to remind Jen Psaki that they've already done that. We already did that one. Can you, you want to pick a different, want to pick a different, you know, bar you want to meet? Cause I guess when you set the bar low, um, you can always, you know, always succeed, which is somewhat brilliant marketing, but, um, yeah, um, he, the president last night did take credit for the coronavirus vaccine, um, and blamed president Trump for all the deaths and everything else, of course, because we know that he's going to do that. And he never said Trump's name. They're so funny. It's like, if they say his name three times, you know, Beelzebub pops up or something like that. You know, that's what they think would be Goldberg spent four years saying the, um, the man whose name I, who shall not be said or something like that or ridiculous. They give him more power that way. They give him more power that way. It's it's somewhat dumb anyway. Um, let's go to Edwin for some sanity here in North Carolina. Edwin, good morning. Yes. How are you this morning? I'm doing just great. So what did you think of the speech last night? Or do you want to talk about uh, the coronavirus? Go ahead. I mean, um, everything that's, that's going on, because I'm a Democrat myself. I'm supposed to be, supposed to be as I was told, for my colleagues, that we are essential workers. Okay, um, I haven't seen any difference in anything that we're getting done as far as essential workers. And, you know, Mr. Biden, yeah, like the foreign thing, I, I get you with that. I, I understand that, though. Our country seems like it's worse off than anywhere else. But everything that he's trying to do for us right here in the United States, why is he getting so much backlash behind that? I, I just don't understand that. 
Well, well like, I, look, I mean, wait, wait, wait. Uh, let's have a conversation. Give, give me, know. give me a for instance. What do you think he's doing that you think is good that he's getting backlash for? Well, things, well, things like uh, the economy for one, and that's true. If we can't have an economy if nobody's spending money buying stuff, and if nobody's able to work, or people are sick, or the job has shut down, or they lost their job, those things like that that need to be built up. He, he's doing his best to work on. I mean, that's any president. Who walking into something like this that the world has never dealt with before? I, I listen. I I agree with you that that we've never dealt with this before, at least in our lifetimes or in recent memory. I totally agree with that. I would like to give the same deference then to President Trump. Number one, number two. How many millions of people did President or how many people did President Biden put out of work his first day in office when he shut down the Keystone Pipeline? Hey, I mean. Mistakes can be made. Hey, it's not a mistake. That's not a mistake. That's not a mistake. Those things he can fix, though. Those can be fixed. How? That can be fixed. How? He's the president. He has to figure that out. It's not my job. He got to figure that out. No, I know, but these people don't have jobs now. So they don't have jobs. So to say he's going to figure it out is, is great. But in the meantime, they have bills to pay. Yeah, they do. But I'm sure they're still going to get money somewhere in the meantime. How? Wait, wait, wait. You're sure they're going to get money somewhere? How? Where? They'll figure it out. Okay, so it's up to them to figure it out. It's up to them to figure it out. If he's shutting down drilling. It's funny when it comes to the Republicans to figure things out. You can take all the time you want. But when it comes to us, it's a rush, rush, do it right now type thing. But see, President Trump, President Trump gave us some of the lowest unemployment records in in history among some groups. So he did figure it out. And then Joe Biden came in and immediately on his first day put people out of work. And and you're seeing more and more industries that they want to shut down, mining, all sorts of industries. And they're like, well, these people are going to get jobs in the in the solar energy field. OK, well, then right now they need to pay their their mortgage and they need to pay off cars and they have to feed their children. So, yeah, they can go on food stamps. They can go on welfare, but that's not going to allow them to keep their homes. That's not going to it doesn't solve the problem. Now, if you're going to put people out of work, I think you and you think that and they're going to you want to get put them into another industry. You have to make that seem and you have to do it right away. You can't say, well, down the road somewhere, we'll get you another job. Yeah, now, as far as the pipeline, I, I'm not in agreement with that. I, I agree with you on that. So, I, and truly, gas prices were lower before that, before, uh, that got disrupted. Mm-hmm. And some were saying it was because of the winter storm, and then some said he just stopped the pipeline. I didn't know which to believe on either end. Well, it's you know what it is uh, because the Saudis are mad at us because he made the Saudis mad because of the killing of Adnan Khashoggi. He made them mad, so now they can they can just choose not to put out more oil and to punish us. And because they know that we stopped the pipeline, we were energy independent. Now we're not anymore. Wow. Yeah, well, changes have to be made for that. But well, us, like, I, I see. You know, and, okay, like the minimum wage thing. Why? I, now, the $15-hour thing, I get that because small businesses will suffer and things of that nature. Right. Make nine bucks an hour. My fault, I work for a job, I make nine bucks an hour. But I do what I, the job that I can do. Now, I love my job. I just wish it paid more. And at least if I could get, what, 11, 12 bucks minimum wage, I think that would make a whole lot of people in my situation a whole lot happier. 
Absolutely. You're right. But James, I'm so glad we got to speak to you. I wish we had more time. But the problem is it's been proven that every time you raise the minimum wage, people lose their jobs because because the employers can't afford to keep that many people on. They only make so much money. Thank you so much for the call. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. And good Friday morning to you, Mary Walter, sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, as you just heard there. Joining us right now, Congressman Chuck Fleischman. He's out of Tennessee. He's a member of the House Appropriations, Health and Human Services, and ranking member on Homeland Security Committees. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Rep Chuck. That's a pretty cool Twitter handle, Congressman. Thank you for joining me. Mary, always great to be with you. Good morning. Uh, I hope things are great in New York. I'm in Chattanooga and very happy. Good morning. Yeah, I'm going to assume things are better in Chattanooga than they are in New York. It's just a hunch that I have. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, Tennessee is actually one of those states my husband's like, well, maybe we should retire to Tennessee. I'm like, I don't know. I could get into that. I got to look at that one. Um, On a different note, you're going to be traveling down to the border on Monday. Uh, with Leader McCarthy, um, and uh, you, you, being on the Homeland Security Subcommittee on the House Appropriations Committee, um, you you are very tied into what's happening down at the border. I want you to hear uh, something that Jen Psaki from, uh, says frequently when uh, she is asked about what's happening on the border. Today there are over 3,700 children, unaccompanied migrant children, in Border Patrol custody. They're spending on average over 100 hours, four days, in these facilities that are jail-like facilities not meant for children. So how can you say that's not a crisis? Well, I think what uh, Ambassador Jacobson and Secretary uh, Mayorkas were conveying and what I've conveyed is it doesn't matter what you call it. It is an enormous challenge. It is something that is front and center for the president. So, sir, it's not a crisis. And that was a CNN reporter. I'm pretty sure that was a CNN reporter who asked that question because I saw this exchange. Um, it's, it's, it's just it's just like really an, it's an enormous challenge. It's somewhat inconvenient. But other than that, things are fine at the border. So why would you go there? This is amazing. It's a crisis with a capital C and it's an unnecessary crisis. Uh, give the Trump administration great high marks for building the wall working to make sure that the men and women who keep our borders safe were protected, were well-funded. Uh, I worked on that uh, for years. Uh, in our last appropriation bill, we did fund the wall again, although President Biden refuses to go forward with the wall. Uh, what we have is a humanitarian crisis, I think, sadly, uh, if not created by the Biden administration, um, Uh, promulgated by it in in very strong ways. And what I mean by that is uh, when Biden was elected and and got in the White House, uh, we saw T-shirts down there that Biden said, come on in. Uh, 
let's face it, we're a nation of laws. We're a nation that is humanitarian. We've got a humanitarian crisis there. We've got uh, a problem that did not have to be there. Uh, Biden needs to address it. His people need to address it. I think it would be great political theater, which, let's face it, Democrats really rule at political theater. They understand that Americans can understand a picture. It's easier to understand a picture and video than it is to read a story, read an article, and get and get to get to the point, right? And they're very, very good at that. You have to hand that to them. I think what you guys need to do when you go to the border on Monday is the Republicans need to take part of the fence around Capitol Hill and bring it with them. And put that on the border because the fencing and the wall that they're using to protect themselves on Capitol Hill, it's just the height of hypocrisy because we keep being told by the left that walls don't work. Well, very interesting point you raise, Mary. Uh, when I walk to work every day in Washington, literally, I have to choose one or two, one of two entrances to go in to the United States Capitol. Uh, there's barbed wire. There's there's these fencings. It's uh, it's amazing that we see this in the United States of America, uh, and it's sad. And and right now I think it's unnecessary. So I really wish Speaker Pelosi would take down that wall, uh, but there's no sign in the future that we'll do that. Uh, on the border, and I have visited the border with President Trump at Calexico. Uh, I've been to McAllen. I've been to El Paso before. Uh, the walls work. The borders work. The technology works if you want them to work. But if we make a statement, as the Biden administration is, that they, they want to continue with porous borders by their, their inaction, uh, we're going to continue to have these problems. I feel for the people in these border towns. Uh, we've got mayors in Texas, not all Republican mayors, Democratic mayors, screaming for help from the federal government. Uh, this crisis could have been totally avoided. Uh, and now what we're seeing is uh, unaccompanied minors. We're seeing humanitarian crisis. Uh, and it's, it's just very sad that at a time like this, when we're in a COVID pandemic, we have another crisis at the border that was totally unnecessary. Yeah, you know, because immigration is a total winning issue for Republicans because the vast majority of Americans don't like the pictures of the caravans coming into the country. And if there was more attention paid to what is actually happening right now, I think um, Republicans would have a lot more support than what they currently do. I just saw a story that in some of the holding facilities, or I think we're calling them welcoming centers now, where, you know, you get a nice warm towel when you, you know, to put on your face when you, when you arrive and we have a greeter who gives you, you know, something cool to drink and, you know, some cheese and crackers. Um, they're at 500% of COVID capacity. So they set these guidelines for COVID to keep the people who are working there safe and to keep these migrants from spreading COVID or any other diseases for which they have not been tested. So we don't know what they're carrying, right? And so they set these 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 limits, but some of these are 500% past capacity. How is this a winning issue for Democrats? I don't understand it. It's not, but remember with Democrats, and we're seeing this every week, almost every day on the Hill, it's about the agenda. And if you look at their agenda, whether it's immigration, gun control, uh, this uh, fake COVID bill that came out that 91 percent doesn't really deal with COVID relief, uh, they will hide their bills with euphemisms. Uh, it's all about the agenda and rewarding their base. 
And sadly, because of the numbers they have on Capitol Hill, they're doing that every day. Uh, hopefully that won't continue because in the immigration sphere, it's a matter of national security. Uh, in addition to the humanitarian crisis, I have to stress this, Mary, there have been people coming over the southern border who want to do uh, our country harm. Uh, there were over tens of languages, uh, I think 50 languages spoken uh, by people coming across the southern border. Some have come from the Middle East in the past. We don't know where they're all coming from. A porous border is a dangerous border. So a porous border uh, for, for some is a porous border for all. We have got to be more secure. Uh, I sincerely hope as a, an appropriator, we can fund measures to, uh, to secure our borders. But again, with this administration, with Speaker Pelosi, with Chuck Schumer in charge of their respective houses, uh, I have very dim hopes for this. And, and I agree with you. I, one of the things I, you will learn about me is I'm a, I, I don't think the Republicans fight hard enough. I just don't. I think that the Republicans need to learn to fight the way Democrats fight, right? Because they fight hard. They fight to win. And Republicans are just like, eh, well, you know, they're, they're in the majority. We're not going to win. And one of the things I have a problem with is the COVID relief bill. You brought that up. Um, and we, again, not a COVID relief bill. We all know there's tons, there's more stuff in it that has nothing to do with COVID than there is things that, that are for COVID relief. Uh, we were just talking earlier about the provision in this bill that will, uh, that puts aside almost $4 billion to pay up to 120% of black, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American farmers outstanding debt as of January 1st. So in other words, this is totally race based. And I don't understand why Republicans aren't screaming that this is just flat out unconstitutional. Why has there not been a lawsuit filed immediately that this is unconstitutional? Democrats would already have it filed. Why haven't Republicans done that? It's interesting that you, you raise that. I have spoken with many uh, of my Republican colleagues who work in the agriculture sector. They've been outraged. They have actually tried to raise this with the mainstream media. I'm glad you're addressing it. Uh, Probably something will be filed. I think they want to make sure, and we have learned uh, in the past, that when lawsuits are filed, you've got to file them in the right place, in the right court, uh, with the appropriate pleadings. As a lawyer, I know this, or they get summarily kicked out, especially if you get uh, liberal judges and justices who they end up before. Having said that, uh, this bill was so bad on so many fronts, funding for Planned Parenthood, uh, funding to bail out failed union pension plans. This was a Democratic wish list. It was a Democratic stimulus plan. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it passed. Uh, it was signed into law. And now we're going to have to live with that with an over $30 trillion national debt and growing with no end in sight. Absolutely. So, uh, it's just sad, um, and, and, and I hearken back to what you just said. When Democrats were in the minority, what did they do? They fought every day. They came in and sat on the House floor. Yeah. If we did that, we'd probably be arrested, but that's another story for another day. We, we have to watch the words that we use. Nancy Pelosi put it into the rules package that we can't use certain uh, all-American words like mom and dad and other things like that. When we speak on the House floor, we can be sanctioned. We can, uh, so wait, wait, just let me interrupt you very quickly there. Then why don't you bring up the fact that her biography puts in there that she's a mother and grandmother? Those words should be stricken from her biography. Well, uh, 
she's gone onto the floor and broken her own rules when she spoke uh, uh, because it, these are ridiculous regulations uh, or constraints they're, they're putting on, on people who are representing the American people. Uh, the First Amendment is near and dear to me, uh, of course, with the cancel culture out there. There are a plethora of issues that are out there facing the American people. Uh, I still fervently believe that the American people believe in God, believe in the greatness of this country, believe in our founding fathers and the great principles that they gave us. Uh, but we have got to be vocal, peacefully yes. vocal, but vocal. And we have got to get out and work hard in our communities, whether it's in Chattanooga, New York City, anywhere in this country, and be heard because we are rapidly losing uh, the fight every yep. day to a right-wing agenda. Well, again, file the lawsuit that this is unconstitutional. The the other question I have regarding this um, this rep, you know white white farmers need not apply for this uh, this um, rep, for basically reparations in 1999. The Pigford lawsuit was a class action lawsuit that was brought against the government uh, from from black farmers who claimed they were unfairly denied loans and other government assistance. And the government settled with them for one point two five billion dollars, one and a quarter billion dollars in 1999. That was to help those farmers right in that class action lawsuit. Why are we now giving them another four billion? What happened to the one and a quarter billion and why is no one asking that question? I think they are asking their uh, question. We're not getting the answers. And and once again, uh, when when Democratic uh, lawmakers want answers, whether it's their Judiciary Committee, their Oversight Committee, when they want answers, they will push beyond the pale of reason. When we want answers, we either don't get answers or we get nebulous, euphemistic responses that don't address the problem. I will say this. I want to make sure that every farmer in America, large, small, uh, white, black, male, female, regardless of race or gender, uh, get to, to a point where they get their needed relief and can produce the food that our nation needs. We don't need to be divisive uh, on, on racial grounds uh, right now in America, whether it's in agriculture, manufacturing, or in any sector. We need to unify. And uh, I saw President Biden's speech last night. We read about it. We talked about it. Uh, it's empty rhetoric. Uh, this yes. was a Democrat cram down bill crafted by Dems, applauded by Dems, uh, and zero Republican input. That's sad. That's not bipartisan. That's not unity. And that's not what the American people want right now. Uh, I just hope we get a change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we're running out of time with you. I'm so sad we can't, we don't, we, ha we don't have more time with you, but I just have one quick question in like 30 seconds here. HR8, the two gun control bills, HR8 and HR1446 that were signed by the House that would um, expand background checks and so on. How is that not racist? Because the Democrats tell me all the time that African-Americans um, are inherently poor. They're, they're always poorer than the rest of the population, and they're incapable of, of getting IDs. That's why they can't vote. That's why we need to, to get rid of ID laws, right? And that's why we can't have that, that that's racist. Yet they expect those same people, they deny them their Second Amendment rights by requiring production of ID to, uh, to, in order to buy a gun. And background checks cost money. So they've told me that the African-American community is incapable of those two things. So how is this not racist? Well— I want all of our Bill of Rights, whether it's the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, 
to apply equally to all Americans. Our founding fathers put that in there. They've been upheld time and time again. Uh, I will continue to vote against the gun grabbers, the, the people uh, up there on Capitol Hill who continually try to erode our Second Amendment rights as well as other uh, uh, rights. I, I, I just don't know where our First Amendment rights are going as conservatives in this country. But let me address yeah. your question specifically. For the Second Amendment, we have got to stand up, uh, oppose any and all gun control measures uh, that have been put forth by the Democrats. The fight will be in the Senate because, unfortunately, yes. Joe Biden will sign those if they ever get passed. But we need to have the American people who are proud gun owners stand up and say, no, enough is enough. I uh, agree. Uh, and Congressman, I hate to cut you off, but we're hard up against the clock here. We've got a hard out, so I have to go. But thank you so much for your time and, and continue to fight, please. We need leaders. Now that President Trump is gone, we need the rest of you in the Republican Party who have power to please use that power and fight for us. Thank you so much, Congressman Chuck Fleischman. Mary, thank you. Good day. Your call's coming up on what you just heard, 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's not one, it's not two, it's not three, it's not four, it's not five. It's six women who have come forward. It's deeply troubling, the specific allegation. The governor called an employee of his, someone who he had power over, called them to a private place, and then sexually assaulted her is absolutely unacceptable. It is disgusting to me. And he can no longer serve as governor. That's New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio piling on. Governor Andrew Cuomo yesterday. We all we now know also 59 Democrat lawmakers are calling for him to resign. And the um, we also have first steps being taken in impeachment. New York state lawmakers yesterday opening an impeachment inquiry. So things are not going well for Governor Cuomo. And according to the Wall Street Journal, in days after the fir- he was first accused of sexual harassment by a former aide, his office called at least six former employees either to find out if they had heard from the accuser or to get some information about her in conversations that some said they saw as attempts to intimidate them. Some of the people said um, that they hadn't heard from the administration in months, and then they get this call. So um, things are not going well for Governor Cuomo. And unfortunately, things should not be going well for him because of the nursing home deaths. Because in my book, yeah, this is terrible. But man, that is just so egregious. And uh, I wish it was both and not just one thing that he may go down on. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter in for a vacationing Brian Kilmeade on this Friday morning. Number is 866-408-7669. So we've been talking about the COVID relief bill. We've been talking about COVID. We've talked about uh, President Biden and the, I still can't believe I have to say that, and uh, his speech last night about commemorating for some weird reason the uh, two weeks to flatten the curve that we're now on the one-year anniversary of the two weeks to flatten the curve. Um, I thought it was a weird commemoration. It's kind of odd. Like usually, I don't know. I just thought it was weird. Um and he, you know, he used it to take credit for all the work that Trump did, which we kind of thought would happen and trash Trump and then, you know, make un- say some other things that were unintelligent. And But anyway, um, so I want to ask you about COVID because one of the developments that big in all of our lives is most of us now are working from home, right? There's, you can do it in pretty much every industry. If you watch TV now, you see all these backgrounds, people are in their living rooms, their kitchens, they're all, and, and now that's normal. Now we're used to it, right? So a poll was done and it found that one in three workers who are working remotely say they will quit their job if they have to go back to the office. One in three said they will quit their job if they have to go back to the office. So I'm curious, 866-408-7669. Do you like working from home if you're working from home? And if you're not, do you wish you could? And what if you have to go back to the office? Would you then seek out jobs that would allow you to work from home? And everyone's doing it. My, my regular job at a radio station, um, there's, the, oh, there's one person, there's two people in, in currently in our station. The news, whoever's doing the news for it, so they, they rotate the news anchors through, and whoever is engineering that the whatever whichever show happens to be on air. Producers, on air people, everyone's home. They've been home for a year now. Nobody wants to go back. Nobody wants to go back. And you look and the salespeople are all out. I mean, companies can save so much money. And unfortunately, if you're in commercial real estate, you're probably going to have a hard time, you know, coming up because if companies divest themselves of these huge office spaces because people are working from home, think of the cost they can save. You're no longer using their internet, right? They don't have to pay for the coffee. Think about that. Think of how much money companies must pay in coffee and water, right? And the sugar and the creamers because people take it home and all that stuff. You know, the toilet paper and the bathrooms and paper towels and pens and, and copy machines, all that stuff. They don't have to pay for electricity, water, sewage, trash. They're not paying for any of that. And then, of course, the rent on all those spaces. So it would seem to me that um that companies would want to do that nearly four in ten remote remote workers about 40 percent said they would rather take a pay cut than go back to work 45 percent of in in person employees say they wouldn't give up extra money and they can just go through being surrounded by cubicles they can go back to work so 45 percent said well if it comes down to it i'll go back to work in order to not lose any money so and 59% of workers say that their company puts them first by allowing them to work remotely. 866-408-7669. Just very curious how you feel about that. Let's go to uh, Steve in Nevada. Steve, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah. 
Good morning. So go ahead. What what do you, how do you feel about it? Do you work remotely? I do not, and and I, I called actually about something else. But uh, my thoughts on that: uh, both of my jobs that I have uh, are jobs that I have to be uh, at a, a facility for. Um, I can't see, as far as as myself goes, being feeling that I was as productive being at home working when most of the jobs that I know of in my industry, at least, um, they, they have resources that are in the office that are necessary and that are actually better than what I can do at home. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I, I just, I don't know, I just, the whole idea of not wanting to go back to work in, in a place where you have, you know, the association with people and, and not only the camaraderie in that, but just being able to work together, uh, I, I don't I don't get that. Yeah, but it, it's all what you're used to. Very quickly, Steve, I'll let you comment on what you wanted to comment, what you originally called to comment on. You said you wanted to talk about something else as well. What, what was that quickly? Well, you were talking about the the, the farmers and the, the the racism about that, and one of the comments I guess you made was that they said that black people and Latino people are not able to get IDs. And no, no, no. That, that was not part of that. What I let me just just quickly tell you what I said. That was in that was in con, um, connection with with the gun laws. The Democrats consistently tell us that when it comes to voting, we have to make the laws so much easier because in these inner cities, black people don't have IDs. Like poor people don't have IDs. They can't get IDs. They're incapable of getting IDs. We keep hearing that over and over again, right? And so we're disenfranchising people of color by requiring an ID to vote. We keep being told that by the Democrats. So I, I just connected that to the gun laws that they're passing that make it harder and harder and more and more expensive to be able to uh, have a gun, to, to exercise your Second Amendment rights. Yeah, well, I don't work in inner city. I'm in Las Vegas. We, you know, we don't have some of the issues we have that they have in other places. But um, at my second job, which is for a major retailer, um, I the, the area that I live in is primarily uh, uh, Latino and black and, and, and that, and that's the, most of the people that I see coming into the store that I work at. And um, they're, they're, they they come in, and a lot of the people of those of those ethnicities are buying alcohol and cigarettes, for which you need an ID. There's no problem with them getting them for that. They're also on a lot of state assistance. And how did they get there? Most of them drove. So my thing is, I don't see that. I don't see where they're not, you know, you know, people of, of color are not able to get the ideas. So to me, it mm-hmm. seems like a bogus argument. Oh, it, it, it's, it's a totally racist argument. It, it's soft racism. This is the bigotry of soft racism. Steve, thank you for your call. It, and it is. And open your eyes, people. To say that someone is incapable of getting an ID based on the color of their skin is racist. You're assuming they're less than. I'm pretty sure that most black people, most Hispanic people have IDs. Pretty sure they do. I'm pretty sure they're capable of getting them. And and, and saying that, that they're incapable of doing this. And well, it costs money and they don't have the money for that. Okay, so Texas made it free. And then the Democrats had a problem with that. Oh, they can't get to the place to get the ID. Really? They, they think that they are totally incapable and they're totally de- 100% dependent on the government, 100% dependent on the government for everything. That's the way the Democrats want it. And that is, I'm sorry, but you'll never convince me that that's not racist because you are, you expect so much less of these people based solely on the color of their skin or their economic status. That is just wrong. 
And so I was just connecting that to the gun, the gun bills that they're passing. Uh, quickly, let's go to Shane in Florida on WOKV. Hey, Shane, good morning. Yo, what's up, Mary? How you doing? Good to talk I'm... to you. It's the first time I ever got through on one of these crazy shows. Oh, I'm glad uh, you got through. I've been listening to you. are doing a great job. So Thank you. I, I now don't miss Brian, so I don't care that I didn't get to talk to him. So, Aw. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'll get over it. I don't miss him, but it's his loss. So you just talk to me, and he doesn't. So, yeah, he's lazy on vacation. He's probably down in Florida, so he doesn't have to wear a mask and put up all the crap in New York from the idiot. Well, go ahead. We, we're, we're up against the clock here, so let's let's quickly. Yeah, real fast. I can talk fast. All right. So, so yeah, the last thing you touched on about uh, staying at home, I'm actually in an industry where um, – it, it, it's not – you're not able to stay at home. You have to be out and go to work. Um, but if I had a job, like I used to have a job where I could probably be working at home, I would totally work at home. And I told the screener, uh, I'm not going to give anybody a free plug, but I would totally stay at home. And I will give a free plug to uh, Mike Lindell. I would I would angle my bed up. Okay. Yeah. I'm, Shane, you know, we're up against the clock. I'm, I'm glad you got through next time. We'll have to make a, we'll, we'll give you more time. I am so sorry that, that we couldn't give you more time right now, but thank you so much. We'll get more of your calls coming up. And also kids going back to school, believe it or not, there are parents who say, no, I want my kids staying home. My kids have been home for a year. I kind of like this. I want my kids 100% on remote learning. So we'll get to talk about that as well. Coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we're talking about working from home and um, whether you would want to be able to continue to work from home if that's what you're doing. One in three remote workers say, according to a new poll, that they'll quit if they have to go back to the office. I mean, would you go so far as to quit if you have to go back to the office? Uh, 55% of workers currently work remotely as of, uh, just recently, this, this was just done recently. So I'm sure it was more. Some people are starting to head back into the office. Um, 50, almost 60% of remote workers say my company cares about me. Now I also want to talk about school and about how you feel about the kids learning remotely. There are, there's a growing number of parents who want the kids to be able to stay home and continue to work remotely. And I did not realize that there's over 30 states right now that allow 100% virtual learning. And I know this because Maryland, we were just speaking to someone in Maryland who, um, is, is actually floating a bill, putting forth a bill that would allow you to keep your kid home just because they want to, to do 100% remote learning. Um, and they, they, you know, it's akin to homeschooling, right? Except the teachers are doing it. The teachers are against that though, which is weird because um, I don't know, you would think that they would be okay with that because they don't want to go back in the classroom. So you would think that they would like remote learning. Only 5% of parents say that the teachers union should have the final say on return to in-person learning. So there's a lot of conversations going on, going on about school and about jobs and making that trek back into the old routine routine um, after a year of working from home for most people. 866-408-7669. I'll be honest with you. My commute is 13 steps, 13 steps. It used to be hours. 
now it's 13 steps. It's going to be really hard to get me to say, sure, I want to get up an hour earlier and, and have to do my hair and my makeup and take off my pajamas and get in the car and drive for a couple hours. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people want to go back to that. Carly in Arizona. Carly, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, good morning. Um, so I wanted to bring up a couple of facts. Uh, first of all, I actually did work from home for a while uh, in my own company, utilizing uh, another platform for customer service. The reason I ended up quitting is because the pay was really bad. It was like $9 an hour. Um so I went back into the workforce uh, when everything happened with COVID. Uh, of course, I was working from home, making a really good rate and being just as productive. So my hope is that through all of this, we will realize we have the technology for people to work from home and for the companies to make sure they're getting their money's worth. Mm-hmm. I also think that um, it is more beneficial for the family unit. Um, And then also I wanted to bring up the fact that they could raise the minimum wage because they're saving all that money on everything that they don't have to pay for at the office. Um, Yeah, I would think, though, that most minimum wage jobs are not necessarily in an office. I would think of most minimum wage jobs as more like – uh, retail type things or restaurants and, and things along those lines where you don't necessarily have to go into an office. So I don't necessarily think of those. And, and I, I just don't think the federal government should be telling anyone how much they should pay their workers. I think that's up to a company to decide because once you, once you raise the minimum wage for the bottom level, that's making minimum wage. And now you give them, let's say 10 or $11 an hour. Well, the people who were above them could have been making that amount of money or say they're making 15 and they're like, well, wait a minute. Now I need more money. So then you got to give them more money. And, and I think it's this domino effect where you wind up having to raise everybody's wages just because now the government's telling you you have to pay someone $11 an hour. And again, Carly, thank you so much for the call. Have a great weekend. I'm just not a fan of the government telling you how much you have to pay your workers. I'm a big fan of you as a worker who says, I'm not getting paid enough, taking yourself and your, you know, your skills to another job. Go somewhere else who's going to pay you more. And I know people who think that they're worth more. And on the outside looking in, I'm like, hmm, you're really not. Your skill set will, it has a ceiling. You know, there's a ceiling as to how much someone's going to pay you for that skill set. And if you want to make more money, then it's incumbent upon you to improve your skill set or accept where you are. So I, I think you have choices, but I don't think it's incumbent upon the government to, to put value on that job. It's up to the employer. In Kissimmee, Florida, Kevin, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. Um, I was dealing with the with the kids in the virtual school. Yeah. Um, I know in Osceola County, if the kids that are doing the virtual are failing or doing poorly in classes, they're getting forced to go back to school because they need uh, the teacher of mm-hmm. more. Uh, uh, they need to be. Um, oh, great! Now I'm trying to. They need, they need that. They need the in-person structure. They they need the structure. Yeah, and that's where with Osceola County, they're they're doing that. Then what's going? Okay, you're not doing good on virtual. We need to get you back in the school and get where you you can improve on your grades and get better at the subjects that you you need to focus on. 
I will tell you, Kevin, I actually think that that's a great idea. And they're not alone. There are plenty of places, plenty of states. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great weekend. Um, There are plenty of states that are requiring and and school districts requiring these kids to go back to school over the summer to catch up because they were not doing well under virtual. And I don't think virtual is for everyone, but there are a lot of parents now who do want the kids to be able to do it 100% virtually for whatever reason. Maybe their kid was getting bullied in school. Now their kid doesn't have to go to school, but can still get an education. Maybe um, they like having the kids home, right? For whatever reason. But I think that's only an option for some kids to Kevin's point. I don't think all kids can thrive under that virtual system. Let's quickly get Douglas in Virginia in here. Douglas, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Good morning. Hey, my comment was on working from home. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great. I think it's a great idea. But what's going to happen whenever a big employer says, "Okay, I don't need but half the workspace I've got now, so I'm going to yeah. downsize," and we lose all this revenue from uh, taxes, mm-hmm. uh, property tax, and business tax. They're going to start taxing the people who are work from home, and the employer says, "Hey, I'm not paying you more." Because I'm working from home. It's a good point. I, I think you're right, Douglas. I think it's going to wind up with um, we're going to have a dearth. Right? We're going to have, excuse me, a surplus of um, commercial real estate on the market. Absolutely. And thank you. It's a great point, Douglas. Have a great weekend. Um, we're going to have this this surplus of commercial real estate, no doubt about it. Even if the majority of people still go back to work, I think you're still going to have this surplus of commercial real estate. And you're going to have to adapt and find other purposes for it. Um, You know, we've been talking about in this country about working from home for how long that we have the ability to Skype and and have have, uh, you know, Zoom calls and we can do jobs remotely all the time. I say it about Congress. Like, why are they flying all over the place? Why does Nancy Pelosi fly home every weekend? How about you just stay home and do your job remotely? How about that? Right. Why can't that be done? So I think this has been a long time coming, and I I wonder if the pandemic just pushed us to that point. And that's why we are where we are right now, you know, working remotely and working from home. I think there's a lot of people who are not going to go back and are going to be very happy about it. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning to you. Happy Friday. On the East Coast, I hope everyone is enjoying the nice weather. Although I think like in Colorado and Wyoming, they're getting like two feet of snow. It's one of those late winter snows. So if you're a ski buff, enjoy it. Uh, Joining us now, Shannon Bream, Fox News Chief Legal Correspondent, anchor of Fox News at Night. She also has is the author of The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for today. Very hot book. Shannon, congratulations on the success. Thank you so much, Mary. Um, You know, it's very much a labor of love, and I hope that people will be encouraged and entertained and informed by it. Um, It's really a collection of great stories that you may not know about women in the Bible. 
Yeah, I think most people don't know those stories. So I'm so glad that someone took the time to tell them. Thank you for doing that. Um, you, you know, I just wanted to, to start out talking about Governor Cuomo because in the last half hour or so, Jerry Nadler, um, AOC, Carolyn Maloney, others are coming out and saying now that Cuomo has to resign. And actually, Bill de Blasio just came out as well. The governor has been depriving the people of the truth. The governor and his team have been trying to cover up the truth. I mean, we've gotten report after report of purposeful efforts to cover up the facts that the public deserves. We saw it with the nursing homes. We saw it with the Tappan Zee Bridge. We're now seeing it with horrendous efforts by staffers to silence women who are trying to speak their truth. And do you think for a moment they were just making that up? I suspect they got an instruction to do so. So... Look, unfortunately, what we're seeing here is a pattern of cover-up and a pattern of lies. It is unacceptable. The governor must resign. He can no longer do the job. He can no longer do the job. Shannon, is there any way in which uh, Governor Cuomo escapes this? Listen, he's going to dig in his heels, I think, as long as he possibly can. But when you do lose people, like most of your congressional caucus, and these are Democrats, um, these are not just Republicans saying you've done something wrong. I mean, I think when you get Jerry Nadler and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, so many others, Carolyn Maloney, those are senior people um, and well-known people within uh, the congressional delegation from New York. And I think it's going to be very difficult for him. Not that he's going to not try to dig in and keep fighting. I think he will. A lot of people keep referring back to Governor Ralph Northam, mm-hmm. you know, here in Virginia, who, I mean, it seemed unbelievable that he could survive a situation in which he's got a a picture in his medical school yearbook that supposedly he's one of these two people, either in blackface or a KKK hood. I mean, we had people on our show that night who were Democrats, I remember when it broke, saying he can't continue on. And he's still the governor of Virginia. Um, I I think with Cuomo, things have changed over the last year or two with the Me Too movement and other things. And I know it's got to be exceptionally frustrating for people like our own Janice Dean, who were sounding the alarm over the um, decisions and then what appears to be a cover-up with respect to thousands of vulnerable seniors dying in nursing homes, um, that it now comes down to this Me Too situation, which may be the end of him politically. Um, But in any case, uh, it seems like there's a lot of material there. And a lot of the bold-faced names are no willing to, no longer willing to stand behind them. Yeah, I, th- I think the difference, though, between what's happening with Cuomo and what happened with Northam is that, you know, Northam being the governor, right under him, his lieutenant governor was accused of sexual assault. And then you had the attorney general, who the state attorney general, who would be after that, Mark Herring, was also accused of wearing blackface. So yeah. if they had all gone, it would have been a domino. If they let one fall, all three of them would have mm-hmm. fallen, and then it went to the Republican. Right. Exactly right. That would have those three top Democrats would have been taken out by similar scandals or, you know, the level of accusations against them. So, yeah, I mean, in New York, that's not going to be the situation. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, anything that is left for Cuomo is sinking away as far as support from within his own party. And, you know, I don't think we've seen something at this level where a leader who has been so prominent, so applauded and awarded within less than a year's time has gone from that to the situation where he's lost just about everybody in his party and is being basically kicked out the door. 
now there is one, there is yet another, um, I guess, analogy between Virginia and New York that kind of is the same because Governor Cuomo, he, I think the reason that the Democrats are going after him and eating him on this, the sharks are, are in the water for him, is because it's if they take him out on this, it takes the focus off the nursing home scandal, right? Mm-hmm. Where tens of thousands of people died in this country who were put into because of COVID positive patients who were put into nursing homes. And I think it was something like 14,000 in New York is the estimated death count. We don't even know if that's, that's the right number. Right. Because if he goes down on that, then you've got Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania who goes down. Gretchen Whitmer who goes down, mm-hmm. Phil Murphy who goes down. So they have to protect them. So if they can take him out and take the focus off of that, take him out on sexual assault accusations, right? Mm-hmm. The other problem gets swept under the rug and they can preserve Pennsylvania, Michigan, and New Jersey because they also have in California, they got Newsom being recalled. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good analysis and to look that, of course, they've got to be looking to other fronts. Uh, that would be important for them, these other states. Uh, and so many of the states that you mentioned, there are already activities going on, either with local prosecutors or state lawmakers who are now asking those questions about Pennsylvania, about Wisconsin, about other places, um, uh, you know, to talk about in Michigan uh, what was done and decisions that were made. So you're right. It is going to highlight, um, you know, we have the prosecutor who came out in Michigan, I believe it was yesterday, to say, listen, we don't know, but we're going to look into this. And they we're continuing to get stories from families. Um, and you got to think about these families who have been grieving and who have been so frustrated for months and months and months to feel like nobody was listening to them, nobody was taking this seriously. Um, and you're right. I mean, if the thing with Cuomo, um, you know, and there are multiple investigations, if that turns into a thing, then all of these other states where they're asking questions and pushing and accusing their governor about similar policies, um, yeah, it's just going to shine a light on that and people are going to have to answer similar questions in other states. I have some questions for you that are constitutional questions, which I know that's kind of your jam. Um, <laughs> um, when it comes to the gun laws, that uh, the, the two bills that were passed through the House, both having to do with background checks and accessibility of law-abiding Americans to guns, um, they both, both of those bills passed the House. Uh, now, the, the the problem I have with this is okay, that's fine. They really only applies to law-abiding gun gun owners because criminals shockingly don't follow the law, nor do they get their guns legally. <laughs> but but you now have more than a dozen Democrat members of the House of Representatives who flipped their position on a vote yesterday on an anti-gun legislation, right? Um, you've got 17 Democrats that just two years ago voted for an amendment that would ensure that ICE is alerted if an illegal alien attempts to purchase a firearm, which they are not allowed to do. They flipped now and they voted against that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how can it be, how can a law apply only to Americans? How come only Americans have to apply to get a gun, but yet an illegal um, someone who's here who has broken the law here illegally can apply to get a gun. I, I'm, I'm very confused. Well, so much of what happens in that space is, uh, you know, there are laws that apply to all of us, 
but it's whether things get reported to ICE or not. And that goes back to the issue of deportation. And, you know, advocates on that side of the ledger will say, we shouldn't be kicking people out of this country who are good people and they're contributing and that kind of thing. But you have to ask if, if people are um, here illegally and they do want to purchase a gun, how many rights uh, are immigration rights advocates willing to look away from? Because right now people are so frustrated with the border saying, you're telling me I can't see people until 4th of July, and then it's only going to be outside in small groups because of COVID. And yet at the border, we have people who we know are coming in who are testing COVID positive. We don't know potentially about thousands of them. Um, Listen, they're human beings. They need medical care um, just like anybody else, but we're sending them out and allowing them to travel where they could potentially spread this to others. We don't know if they're going to get the help they need where they're going. Um, I think people just feel, whether it's guns or whether it's the border and COVID and restrictions, that when things aren't uniformly applied, there's a lot of frustration because if you're going to ask us to make sacrifices, we want to know that our leaders are doing it, that it's consistent, that's going to apply to everyone. So, you know, on the gun issue, on COVID, um, I think these things just highlight the split where people feel like there is differential treatment between people who are here legally and who aren't. Um, And listen, we all want to have compassion and work together on things, but we all want to know if we're making the sacrifices that everybody else here is making them too. Well, exactly. I don't want to be, have the law apply more to me because I'm a citizen than to someone who crossed the border illegally, which last time I checked, it's a crime, hence the word illegal in the definition, uh, to, to have more rights than I do. And that's how it sometimes feels, I think, to a lot of people, that they have more rights by virtue of being here illegally than those of us who are here legally have. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about things like the border right now, uh, again, that's a huge frustration. You talk about the gun law, um, and you point this this amendment out, but I'm guessing that a lot of people haven't heard anything about it and don't know about it. And yeah. right now, uh, Republicans, as usual, they're not going to get help from the mainstream media pointing out that particular amendment. Um, and so I think a lot of people never hear about it and never ask their member, why did you think that was a good idea? I mean, why did you think that was fair or that was equitable or a good path to go down? So there are a lot of things like that that are happening on Capitol Hill that just are not going to get the attention. Um, you know, whether you talk about the COVID bill, $2 trillion yeah. nearly, um, and when you really start to break down what's in it, we're constantly told, well, it pulls so well, the American people want this. Well, of course, we all want help for our neighbors and our friends and small businesses. You'd be a monster not to want that. But it's the other, you know, billions of dollars that are tucked in there that have nothing to do with COVID that people don't know about. They don't hear about it. And so they're not going to vote no or poll no on that bill until you start to tell them a little bit more about it. Um, and we find that with a number of issues that, you know, people are busy. They're trying to survive and figure out what to do with their kids and put food on the table. They don't know some of the minutia of the stuff that we're covering, and we try to make sure that people know. Um, so you can't expect them to have a full knowledge of everything that, that Washington is up to, which is often very sneaky. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they gave the definition to the word. You look it up in the dictionary and there they are. Um, you, we talk, you just talked about the bill and the things that are in the bill that people don't know about. And I've been asking this question a lot and I, I haven't really gotten an answer. Maybe I view it wrongly. But this payout to farmers that no one's paying attention to. The relief package includes an estimated $4 billion to pay up to 120%. So you make money on the deal of black, Hispanic, Asian or Native American farmers outstanding debt as of January 1st. White people need not apply. How is that constitutional? Well, I've already heard people talking about a potential legal challenge to that because 
Um, it's the very thing we don't want people to do, which is to make decisions on the basis of race. Um, if you feel that there are inequities that need to be made up, I think there are other ways um, that you could go about that and that lawmakers can could, uh, you know, can provide. And I think there have to be, I don't know, because I'm not in farming, but there have to be programs that would encourage people who are considered minority farmers to be out there, that they be able to, um, you know, have successful operations and have a chance, the loans they need, the financing they need. I mean, that's something that we obviously need to make a great effort at. Um, but if you're saying a, a blanket proposal that we're going to give money to certain people based on their ethnicity or race, I think that that's ripe for a legal challenge. And I have already heard talk about about people um, considering doing that. Well, I, I would I would have hoped, and, and I did get to say this to a congressman earlier in the show, you know, if this were the other way around, if Republicans had put something like this in a bill, Democrats would have already sued. They wouldn't be waiting yeah. for someone to, to challenge it. The lawsuits would have already been filed. What are they doing? Why, are they, why do they sit around? And I think this is some of the frustration American people have, too. We had a president who fought for us, so we know what that's like now. So... Now that we, you know, we're kind of getting back to business as usual a little bit here. And I think there's going to be a lot of frustration on the part of of, uh, people who lean right, more conservative uh, Republicans, independents who lean to the right, that there's not someone taking up that fighting. They'll tell me they're fighting, but they're really not. And I think that gets to the future of the GOP as well, because the party is having to figure out how to navigate that, because there are so many people, as you said, who felt like with Trump, and many people will say with President Trump, um, he doesn't do things the way I would have done them or said them, but there were many of them who said, I still liked it because he was fighting for me. Um, so Republicans are going to have to figure out how they harness what he brought to the party in that people felt like I've been silenced, and now people feel like if I say the wrong thing, I could lose my job, my kid could lose their slot in school. Um, I think, if anything, people feel like cancel culture is on steroids, and President Trump was the antithesis of cancel culture. So, you know, I think people want somebody fighting for them, um, whether they loved all of his tweets or not. They loved the fighting aspect. And so the GOP has got to navigate that and figure out, are there other leaders who can do that as effectively, or do they stay strictly aligned with President Trump, who continues to poll as a favorite for 2024 and just about yeah. every poll out there among Republicans? Yeah, you would have thought they learned how to fight. They had four years to figure it out. And some of them did. Some of them absolutely did. But unfortunately, I think there's some who are old school and are just more than happy to just worry about the next election and keep collecting the taxpayer paycheck. Shannon, thank you so much for us. You can find Shannon at Shannon Bream. Don't miss her on Fox News at night and her book, The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Have a fantastic weekend and thank you so much. You too. Great to talk with you, Mary. Your calls coming up here on The Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Then we have some fun here. A little bit of fun. I don't know. It's not fun for if you have to get up early like I do to, to go to work. I get up at four um, to go to, to go to work. Uh, one day a week I have to get up at three thirty um, because we do TV. We do TV hit one day a week, um, and and so I I get up at four. 
and it's hard. It's really hard to, to get up super early like that. Cause you, no matter how hard you try a lot of times, you don't get more than five hours of sleep a night. You know, it's pretty much our standard. It's about five hours of sleep a night. And what is this weekend? What is this weekend? It is the dreaded daylight savings change, right? So we're going to spring ahead an hour. And this, this one's really hard. Fall back. I'm great with, I got an extra hour. I'm good with that one, but falling, fall, uh, jumping ahead is really hard for a lot of people. They say that during the week following that transition on Sunday, people may experience a 30 minute decrease in sleep each night, even the, through the following Friday. And this is a neuroscientist who wrote this piece in us news and world report. Um, sleep deprivation brought on by the transition has been associated with the, look at this, the risk of experiencing a stroke or heart attack increases in the days following the time change in the spring. Uh, you also have the risk of a car crash that week increases by six percent. The week following the transition, they found an 18.7% increase in patient safety related incidents in healthcare settings that were due to human error. It's so I want to know, are do you, are you okay with the changing of the time twice a year? Or do you just want them to pick a lane and stick in it? Because Marco Rubio and a bipartisan group of senators have reintroduced yet again the Sunshine Protection Act. This is 2021 this time around in order to keep us on one, just just one. Can we just because there are some parts of the country that don't do this. So then you got to get a map and you got to figure out what time is it in Phoenix, because some parts of Arizona do it. Some parts don't do a part of Phoenix does the other part. Does. It's a mess. Just pay, just 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 let's just keep it all the same. I, I'm all for this. I can't stand swinging ahead. I hate the time change. I think it's dumb. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Do you want to see them get rid of this changing of the clocks twice a year? I'll take your calls on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Senator Marco Rubio, along with seven other senators, including uh, Senator Rick Scott, Senator James Lankford, Roy Blunt, uh, and uh, I said Rick Scott, and also Cindy Hyde-Smith. Those are all Republicans, but also Sheldon Whitehouse, Ron Wyden, and Ed Markey, Democrats, they, to introduce the Sunshine Protection Act of 2021. Uh, Marco Rubio does this periodically trying to get rid of, it would make day, daylight savings time permanent and it would repeal the eight month period of daylight savings time for all the states that currently participate. And the fact that not all the states participate doesn't make things any easier. I would do um, work out in Phoenix and out in Tucson. And I had to have a map of which parts, like what time it was, where I was, because 
I was always afraid of not being, of not showing up on time because they were an hour off. Like they really weren't on Pacific time. They were on mountain time or central, whatever, because it, it's lunacy. It's just total mayhem and chaos. Uh, Rubio called this an antiquated practice of clock changing. It absolutely is. Back in the day when we were in agrarian society, I kind of get it. But I remember, wasn't it like in the 70s with the oil crisis? I re- I was a little kid and I just remember my mother making a big deal out of the fact that we had to get up and it was still pitch dark out and had to walk to school in pitch black because I was a walker. I had to, in elementary school, I had to walk to school in pitch blackness. But did our parents drive us? No. They just told us to go as a group. <laughs> Stick together. You know the way. You're not going to get lost. And out the door we went in pitch blackness. And that was that. They didn't even give us flashlights. Out you go. Um, it was a different era. And we were tougher. Um, so want to know how you feel uh, about this. President Trump endorsed the idea in 2019. This fa- springing forward, falling back. And springing forward this time of year is really bad for your health. In Austria, they found um, an increase and daily total mortality of about 3% the week after, you have a better chance of dying the week after, like this is week coming after springing forward, than you do at other times of the year. This is literally like hell week. Death is knocking at your door, just waiting for you to move that clock and have to get up an hour earlier, and then it's going to pounce. 866-408-7669. Okay, that could have been a little dramatic. Uh, Mark in Winter Haven, Florida on WDBO. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mary, it's very nice to hear you as always. Um, Oh, thank you. First thing I want to do is thank President Trump and the VA for my uh, COVID vaccines. I go back and get my second one on the 30th. Oh, good. Um, Jumping back and forth, it doesn't bother me. I get up way early in the morning anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But just standardize it and just... Leave the darn things alone. Yes. Just pick a lane and drive in it. How hard is this? <laughs> you know, right? we've got a exceptional governor down here. Um, senator Rick Scott and Rubio are great senators. This state's wide open. They yep. need to leave it there. Um. You know what? I have to say, Mark, not to interrupt you, but we have a lot of people who want to get on here, so I wanted you to kick it off. But I will say, watch out, Florida, because I know there are lots of liberals, lots of liberals who are fleeing liberal states like Maryland and New York and New Jersey. And where are they going? They're going to Florida and they're going to Texas. And what are they going to do when they get there? They're going to vote for Democrats. They're going to vote for high taxes and a nanny state, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to ruin it because they're like locusts. They ruin an area and then they say, well, this area is terrible. I'm going to move somewhere else. And they move to a nice area that's usually a red area because they've got good schools and low taxes. And like Florida's open, Texas is open. There's more freedom. And then they vote for exactly the opposite. So Florida, it was nice knowing you. Same thing's going to happen with Texas. Hate to be a Debbie Downer. It's pretty much the way it goes, though. Uh, Bruce in Whitehaven, Pennsylvania on WSBA. Hey, Bruce, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Thank you very, very much. So grateful that you took my call. Um, what? Thank you. Um, so <clears throat> the thing about the farmers is, you know, the cows have to get milk at a certain time. The plow, the plows have to plow. They've got to go by the actual sun. So, 
the problem was is that dealt, if they deal with stores and things like that, then they had to change their schedule. But as far as their actual farm on the farm operation, they paid no attention to that. You got to go by the sun, crops, and everything else. Um, I think the problem was is the kids, like you said before, it was getting dark, and then that when they changed it, it helped. So that's it helped in the morning when they did that when they took the hours back. You know, in the morning as mm-hmm. the fall mm-hmm. fall back, that that helped great for kids in the dark, as you said. Um, I did want to say one other thing. I know it's not exactly on topic, and I apologize for it, but nobody else has said this. And I wanted to say that a couple days ago when I was on hold, I wanted to say that after the 20 states plus Texas, they were refused the Supreme Court hearing, okay? The Democrats know that the Supreme Court is on their side. In other words, is it any wonder that H.R. 1 could now be passed because they already know yeah. The feelings of the Supreme Court. They're not going to touch it. That's the problem. And they yeah. know it. Yeah, you're, he's talking. And thank you for the call. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, what he's talking about there is uh, H.R. 1, as he said, which would federalize elections, which shockingly, if you're paying attention, China just is trying to do to Taiwan's, I think it's Taiwan's or Hong Kong's elections, Hong Kong's elections. They're going to, they're going to send they're, they're going to take over Taiwan's elections because, you know, this way it's all, it's, it's safe and they're going to ensure that the rules are followed in Hong Kong. And I just find it odd that the Democrats are mirroring the Chinese communist government when it comes to certain things. And one of those things being the elections. Um, I thought that that was a, uh, a little, a little weird there. Uh, 866-408-7669, uh, talking about the clock changing and uh, some of the things that can happen to you next week. Just so you're on the, be on the lookout for this. According to this um, neuroscientist, a neurobiological phenomenon called circadian desynchronization contributes to worsening changes in physical and mental health after the time change. And they say that these these changes start in in, in the eye. The brain changes activity based on the amount of light in the environment, like you heard about with farming. The brain then communicates with the rest of the body using hormones, and this chain reaction synchronizes various bodily functions with your surroundings, modifying basic biological functions like heart rate, digestion, and body temperature. However, when you push the clocks forward by an hour, the change in daily light exposure causes a mismatch between the surroundings and a person's physiology, and this leads to a desynchronization between your internal hormonal balance and the surroundings, resulting in a condition in a condition similar to jet lag, or what they call work shift disorder. They say it's only temporary, but it takes about a week. And for those of us who get up early in the morning to go to work, it's the worst week of our lives. It truly is. I remember, <laughs> I mean, not, not being in, in the station uh, now at this point because of COVID, I'm not going to see it as much, but I can remember, you, you know, everybody's walking into walls because it's a shift work environment, right? You have di- different shows to work, different shifts, including overnight, etc. And people were just so out of it, just doing dumb stuff for like a week. So it's truly a real thing. Substance use risk increases equally after both the spring and fall time changes for males over the age of 20. 
And again, you have that, that, um, the one that really bothered me was the increase in crashes up 6% in the week following springing ahead. More of your calls coming up, 866-408-7669. We've got a group of bipartisan senators who are trying to get rid of this ridiculous practice of flipping the clocks back and forth, trying to manipulate Mother Nature, which I don't think you can do. Get your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So a lot of health reasons why we should not be springing ahead on Sunday. You're more likely to die. Stroke, heart attack, car accident, accident made in the hospital. Because people are exhausted. It totally messes with your circadian rhythm. And I get it. Because I, and I'm, this may seem like a dumb analogy, but if you have a pet or animals, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. So my cats, I swear they can tell time. I had dogs that I swore could tell time as well. And our dogs, would, I, I think, did it by the sound of whatever was on TV. They knew it was time to eat when they heard a certain theme song. Um, but my cats, like, they know. When, when Sunday hits, I have to slowly ease them into the earlier time to eat because otherwise there's no one there. Like they know they eat around eight o'clock at night. So if I have to now ease them into another time like earlier or later, depending on which way we're going, I have to do it slowly because their little cat brains aren't used to that, right? They go by the light. And, um, it just, it just messes everyone up. So there is a bipartisan call to get rid of this in Florida for legislation to make it permanent, you know, permanent in just daylight savings time, same time all year, a change in federal statute is required. Other states have passed laws and gotten rid of it. 866-408-7669. Andrew listening on WABC from my home state of New Jersey. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Mary. Um, How you doing? Okay. Um, I, I miss you from the other station you used to be on in New Jersey, the Mary's what? Place show. Yes, well, you yeah. can catch me. You can catch me in Washington D.C. now. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I don't live there. But anyway, uh, but anyway, I remember way back before 1986, daylight savings didn't start till the last Sunday of April, and that was more like it. Okay, now it's wow. way too. Oh yeah. I remember, and now it's way too soon, and that's why I hate, loathe, and despise it. It's still winter. <laughs> yeah, so wait, so am I right? Was there a time back in the 70s, it had to be like Carter or something, and I think it was tied to the energy crisis, and we didn't do it. And I remember I was in grade school, and I, like I said, I was a walker, and I just remember my mother saying how dumb this was, that you know we had to go to school in the dark because of the energy crisis, and she just shoved me out the door, you know, with the other like fourth graders, out the door we went, and... And um, we all just walked to school together in the dark. Yeah. Um, no, it, it got light out so early um, that you could actually get things done before you went to work outside. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now, those days are gone. Yeah, so, yeah. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. I don't know when they're ever going to learn. And God forbid Biden notice anything like this. He obviously doesn't care, and he never will. Um, you know. It just never ends. They they just keep changing everything for the worse. 
Yeah, I, I think they started out with good intentions on this one, and that has totally gone gone the the wrong way. Took a hard left, and they just never got rid of it. Andrew, thank you so much, and uh, thank you li- for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate that. Let's go to St. Louis. Oh, in Missouri, Dave on FM News Talk. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So, are you looking forward to springing ahead? Yes, I am very much. No, you are not. Stop it. I like the daylight in it in uh, in uh, in in the morning. Okay, that's fine. But do you want to just stick with that, or do you want to fall back again then in in the fall? No, no. Okay. I have a question, if you don't mind taking it. It's a little bit off topic. Well, let's see what the question is, and then I'll let you know. Okay, uh, Judge uh, Supreme Court Justice, rather Amy Coney Bryant. Amy Coney Barrett, yeah. Yes. uh, She, I read online that she had an idea or a plan to uh, reinstate uh, rights to uh, convicted felons. I I, I don't know. I got nothing for you on that one. I haven't heard it or seen it. Did you try to look it up? Uh, Yes. uh, I don't know if they're moving forward with this or not. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything about it, and you looked it up so you know more than I, cause, so I got, I got nothing for you on on that one. I have been disappointed with her on some things. I've been, I mean, John Roberts is gone. I, I don't, you know, he's he's not a, a conservative anymore, um, obviously. You know, he, he's way out there now. I think it's really easy um, to become a liberal because you just have to go with your feelings, right? And I'm not, I'm not all liberals, but, but if you feel it's right, it's right. That's kind of how they operate and they can see, feel that something's right, but it's totally against the law. They'll still go with what they feel is right. And I think it's a really easy way to get after a while. If you hang around with enough liberals, like I have friends who married or started dating someone who was liberal and they turned, it was amazing. And these people who I knew who used to be, who had like these real strong convictions and stuff became mushy. And then all of a sudden, like they're voting for Biden. I'm like, what happened to you? So I guess if you're surrounded by it, it's it's a very easy thing to adopt. Whereas having a set of, of morals and principles that are un- immovable as far as, you know, and saying, well, this is the law and we got to go with the law. I may feel a different way, but this is what the law says. I'll work to change the law. That's a, that I think is harder. I think it's just a harder way to live. So maybe that's why, and I'm sure there are people right now yelling at me that saying, telling me I'm full of it, but I don't know. It's kind of the way I perceive it. Uh, Robert in California. Oh, the people's Republic thereof. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Robert. Good morning. Hey, I got a unique perspective to this. Um, I live right on the border of California and Arizona and Mm -hmm. in California, they do daylight savings in Arizona. They do not. Yeah. And so I have to deal with both. There's been times when I'm at the grocery store and think I'm late to pick up my kid from school because Arizona time is different than Arizona, California, and it changes back and forth in California, but not Arizona. So I get <laughs> so confused every time daylight saving changes or not. <laughs> I got to deal know, with both of them at the same time. I could see that. You know, it's so funny, especially if you're on the western part of a time zone or the eastern part of a time zone. It's a totally different experience. We were just at skiing out west. We were in Montana, and, and, that, and where we were is on the western edge of the mountain time zone. So, you know, the lifts, the lifts close at four 
and and they open you know at like nine they and and it's it's just such a different experience because you're on the western part of the time zone you know so i can't imagine what that's like shopping in one time zone and then living in another and having to go back and forth so for you it would be super helpful if there was just one yeah and and not only just the one time zone that that'd be fine if they just stayed there but arizona doesn't change they don't do daily savings California does. So yeah. half the year I'm matching Arizona, half the year I'm not matching them. Oh my and God. So, <laughs> you know what? That, I'm sorry. I don't do math. And thank you so much for that. You made me laugh, Robert. Thank you. I don't do math real well. So for me, having to do that math because I don't, you've probably noticed in your home, like now because of electronics, everything's got a clock on it. So you have to go around to everything in the house and change the time on everything. So you should try what I do. It's a little passive aggressive, but it works. I just like, I'll, I'll just like add an hour. I'll look at the clock on the microwave or wherever and I'll, or the, or the stove and I'll just, I'll just leave it again. I'll just add an hour to it. I'll just get used to doing that. And that's what I'll do all through the summer. My husband gets so mad that he eventually just changes all the clocks and then I don't have to do it, but I've become very adept at adding like in my car, my car will be wrong now for like eight months. <laughs> just add the hour, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy Monday. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.